0: The latest chapter in the MCU is hitting theaters this weekend. I've got my review of Black Panther Wakanda Forever right now. Hello everybody, I'm Dan Merle, and this is my review for the latest film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Black Panther Wakanda Forever. One note, this is a non-spoiler review in the sense that I'm not going to be talking about specific plot points and revelations in the movie, and there are several of them. Of course I'll be talking in generalities about the basic premise of the film, so if you don't want to know anything going in, then you may want to pause now. But don't worry about me giving away big plot points and of course the identity of a new Black Panther. That's Going to be coming into my spoiler review, which will be out tomorrow. And I think you have to start talking about this movie by saying that, you know, as a critic, it's my job to judge a movie for what it is, and to block out the real-world noise around something, sort of like with Don't Worry Darling. There was all of the gossip stuff about the movie, but when you're reviewing the movie, you're looking at the movie. But it is basically impossible to ignore the real-life circumstances around this film. Chad Boseman's shocking and untimely and unfair death back in August 2020 obviously changed this movie completely what it would have been, what it could have been, which is the version I think everybody wants where Chadwick Boseman was still here and was able to return as T'Challa in this movie. Ryan Coogler returns as director as well as co-writing the screenplay with Joe Robert Cole, with whom he also wrote 2018's Black Panther, and we see a grieving Wakanda after the death of T'Challa in a powerfully emotional first sequence of the film. The absence of a Black Panther an official Wakandan defender leads some to believe that the nation is weakened, as Queen Ramonda, played by Angela Bassett, seeks to prove that it's as strong as ever. T'Challa's sister Shuri, played again by Letitia Wright, grapples with the knowledge that neither her expertise nor Wakanda's technology could save her brother's life. The film wisely deals with this, or begins the process of the characters dealing with all of this from the very beginning of the movie. And and I think that that's really the only thing that you could do because otherwise, people are just going to be waiting. The story really is about the journey of these characters that we see on screen. Of course, the legacy of Chadwick Boseman and the legacy of T'Challa is over the entire film. But one of my favorite things about this movie is it is very character focused on Ramonda, on Shuri, on Okoye and Nakia, and all of these people who knew T'Challa and how their lives have changed. But the world is also changing as a new presence rises from the previously unknown underwater kingdom of Talokan as their king, Namor, who's played in this movie by Teno Cuerta Mejia, seeks to protect his people through either alliance or war with Wakanda. I don't envy what Ryan Coogler had to do with Wakanda forever, because it's been documented that things like Namor and this conflict between Wakanda and the Underwater Kingdom were things that were in the original version of the screenplay, which he then had to totally go back, rewrite, restructure around new characters, while also himself going through the process of losing a friend and collaborator in Chadwick Boseman. And these are all decisions that you have to make basically in real time. Wakanda Forever's release was only delayed by six months, going through and radically restructuring this film, talking about the consequences of the choices you make and how it echoes down to other movies. There were so many different things that had to be shuffled in the making of this movie, and quite honestly, some of that does show on screen. So let's start with what works, and this movie was very lucky to have inherited a cast from the original movie four years ago that is immensely Talented. Angela Bassett already had such a regal air to her role as Queen Ramonda in the first film. Here she's a queen who, number one, never believed that she'd sit the throne, and yet she has this determination, this ferocity to protect her. Her kingdom. She may not be the Black Panther, and the fact that Killmonger destroyed all of the heart shaped herb in the last movie puts into serious question in this film whether there will ever be another Black Panther. But there is no mistake as this movie opens that Queen Ramonda is Wakanda's protector. Letitia Wright Shuri is, I think, the character that has changed the most from the first film to this one. Shuri is facing the irreversible loss of T'Challa. You can undo the snap, but you can't undo what's happened at the beginning of the movie. And she blames herself. This is not the meme-quoting teenager that we first met in the original 2018 film. Shuri is angry, she's resentful, she doesn't understand how this could happen. She thought that Wakandan technology could solve anything, that she could solve anything, and she's been proven wrong. She's really lost in so many ways, and Letitia Wright infuses her performance with the confusion and the anger that really only comes from grieving and the loss of a loved one. It really is a powerful performance alongside Angela Bassett that helps to carry the first act of this film. Also redefining their roles in this franchise and in this world are Lupita Nyong'o as Nakia and Danai Gurira as Okoye. Nakia has largely withdrawn from Wakanda following T'Challa's death, only returning in the face of these new threats to her homeland. But we learn throughout the movie why Nakia made the choice to recede from Wakandan life. It doesn't always seem like they know exactly where they're going with her character, and this is something that carried over from the first film, but I really did like where they took her. Okoye is a character who has lost T'Challa twice to forces that she couldn't stop, first to Thanos and now to the cruel twists of fate, Her role as a protector is one that the movie explores, particularly in the movie's first couple of acts. Unfortunately, the third act kind of relegates her back to that archetype as the warrior as we get into the battle scenes. So I do think they lose the track a little bit on Okoye as they go, but they do some great stuff with her at the beginning of this film. Winston Duke is great, coming back as M'Baku. He's another character that doesn't get as much screen time as I would have liked, but I really like this character. And Duke makes the most out of every second of his screen time there's precious little of his screen time and I did have some questions about the intentions for his character that maybe a second viewing could clarify a little bit but Winston Duke really does have a commanding presence and I I think one of the film's detriments is that it is spread a little thin and so you lose time with some of these characters that you love from the first movie to make room for newer characters that maybe the movie didn't need to make room for. One new character, though, that deserves all of the attention he gets in this movie is Namor. Namor's past is a reflection in many ways of Wakanda's, and they're able to explore themes that are similar to what we saw with Killmonger in the last movie, but in a way that doesn't seem redundant. Teno Cuerta Mejia imbues Namor, not with necessarily anger or aggression, but with the same righteous belief that his people deserve to live free of interference, the same righteous belief that we see from Wakandans. Namor is the antagonist, but I wouldn't call him a villain. He has very rich and complex relationships with several of the main characters and they approach him in a way that makes you understand why he's doing what he's doing. And I think with a lesser performance or with a lesser screenplay, it could have felt like a repetition of the first movie. Like, oh, you're doing another person who comes into some conflict with Wakanda, but you can kind of also see where he's coming from. They don't try to mirror what they did with Killmonger. It's just something thematically that works with the franchise. There are certain themes that go into each of these two Black Panther movies. Namor and his past feed into to those themes and so it feels very natural and I loved the way that this is written and the way that it was acted. Practically everything the movie does with the people in Wakanda and with Namor and the people in Talokan it all works, it just seems at times like the two stories are on parallel tracks and you can see the seams of the story a little bit and how they were merged together into this one movie. However, I do think that there were some other story issues that have nothing to do with having to merge the two storylines due to real world events and it really has to do with a lot of the other cast members in the film. Martin Freeman's Everett Ross could probably just be cut out of the movie altogether and you wouldn't even notice. He's almost in his own little side movie that feels like a spinoff within this one. I really do think his entire part is there to set up a few things for another Marvel project down the road. I think that Wakanda Forever is a little longer than it needed to be and Ross putting aside the needs for setting stuff up down the line is fat that could have been trimmed. Ree Williams also seems to have been included solely to set her up for further adventures. I liked Dominique Thorne's performance but she deserved a better introduction than the one that she gets here. And again, her role seems mostly superfluous to the core storytelling that's being done. I am looking forward to seeing more from this character. It just seems like she was only included in this film so that you didn't have to set things up more in the Ironheart series on Disney Plus that's coming out down the road. In both of these cases, it feels like Marvel muddied the water here a little bit by adding in these side plots to set up future projects, which number one was a lesson that I, I thought that they had learned many, many years ago. And number two stands out especially Especially in a movie like this, where the stuff that cuts so deep to the emotional core is so effective, the fluff stands out even more. The third act finale also feels a bit too marvel for a movie, again, that operates on emotional levels as deep as this one. It's almost like it had been sitting on storyboards since before the pandemic. There's a one-on-one encounter, actually, in the third act that carries way more weight than the 200v200 army fight that we've seen in the third act of so many different Marvel films before and I wish that the movie had had the faith to invest in that. It's again similar in many ways to the final showdown between Killmonger and T'Challa in the last movie. I think that the fight is better because it's not quite as cartoony. I think that the meaning behind it is just as strong and I just wish that they could have confidence that you can have two characters show down against one another and not have to have this massive fight also happening behind them. You can do massive fights in the MCU, but you don't have to do them all the time. There is also a similarity between this third act showdown to another showdown from a comic book movie that I want to talk about, but again, that's something that I'll address in my spoiler review. When I think back on the movie, I think I'm really going to take parts of this film. Namor's backstory, the moments between characters, thematic and emotional payoffs. I feel like I'm going to remember those a lot more fondly than I do this movie as a whole. Although I also want to be clear that the good outweighs the not-so-great in this movie, and it's a movie that I would recommend seeing, but I think that it's also trying to do a lot. I really don't think this movie ever could have been made completely whole under the circumstances, but I think that a more focused look at Wakanda and the legacy of T'Challa and the after-effects of his death and then a more focused look at Namor and almost putting him side by side more than the movie already does with Wakanda could have yielded a more powerful film because that's the thing. And it's sort of like I was saying, when the emotional stuff works as well as it does, the fluff is easier to spot. When you really sharpen the focus on a film, then it becomes much more evident what shouldn't be in focus. And this feels a little scattershot. And it just goes back to my same criticism that I've been having for a little while with Marvel is that they have so many things going on I see a distinct lack of focus on what's in front of them. It always seems like they have one eye here and one eye on what's coming down the road. And I think that there's a certain extent that you have to be doing that behind the scenes. But when it consistently starts showing up in your projects, then I think it's time to take a step back and say, well, wait a minute. I know that we're world building here, but we also have to make sure that each individual piece is the best that it could be. This is a good Marvel film with great parts, but not what I would rank as one of their best, but still one that I think that Marvel fans are going to want to see. And really just anybody who saw the first movie, if only for the moments where it is able to pay tribute to Chadwick Boseman and to T'Challa, the character, and really underscore just how emotionally connected people are to this world and to this story. So those are my thoughts on Black Panther Wakanda Forever. What do you think? Are you going to be heading out to see it in theaters this weekend? Let me know down in the comments below. And as always, stay tuned right here on the channel. I will be doing a spoiler review tomorrow where I can get deep into the details of the film. I'll be looking at the box office next week as we see how it did. Did it break any records? Did it fall short? Thank you so much for watching. Until next time, stay safe, and I'll see you then. Bye.